morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to the beginning of a brand new series. Now the, uh, the idea was to start a brand new series and, and we had uh, kind of finished out uh, with Elisha. We didn't go through every single part of his story, but we, we kind of went through some of those main segments and, and the last time we closed that session, that series out, looking at even how God did mighty things even through his bones in death. We're, we're going to be taking a look at a series entitled, Questions Jesus Asked. How many of you have some questions? You might have a bunch of questions about today. You might have a bunch of questions about this coronavirus thing. You might have a bunch of questions about the world in general. But if you take a look in the scriptures and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, pay attention, you will see that Jesus asks a whole lot of questions. Now, many people ask him questions, and he only answers a handful of them. Many times he responds to a question with a question. It's an interesting teaching format. Now, uh, there are a couple different individuals who have gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they've determined that over 300 questions were asked by Jesus. So this is part one of a 300-part series. Okay, maybe not. But we're going to be looking at a handful of these questions that Jesus had asked. And you take a look. Some people might refer to Jesus as the great interrogator because he's always asking questions. In fact, you go back and you look in Scripture, the very first recorded words of Jesus were as a 12-year-old boy. Remember the story? Joseph and Mary were attending the Passover in Jerusalem. They were in this big group, big caravan, if you would, and, and they lost Jesus. Let's just stop there for a moment. We think, how in the world do you lose Jesus? They, they lost Jesus. Realized he was not with them. and says after three days, they went back, and as they went to the temple, Luke 2.46 says this, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. The very first thing that we see about Jesus, yes, he was in the temple, yes, he was listening, but even as a 12-year-old boy, he was asking questions. Now, I freely admit, my intentional and initial thought in this series was, Maybe I would go chronologically, and maybe I would start with this very first session because when his parents find him, Jesus responds with two questions to his parents. Why were you looking for me? And didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? So initially I'm thinking, maybe I'll just start with that and, and kind of work through his life and, and just find a handful of scriptures leading up to Easter, leading up to the resurrection, maybe the, the Sunday of Easter or the Sunday afterwards. But then we see the events of not just the last few months, but the events of this last week as it has kind of spiraled into a challenging situation. And what we see across the world and across our nation, we see a lot of panic, worry, and anxiety. And so God led me to a very familiar portion of Scripture. We're going to look at it here in just a little bit. 
But from Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus utters these two words. Now, it's in the context of a larger question, but he literally says, why worry? So that's going to be the first one that we look at this morning. Questions Jesus asked. Why worry? I believe that God would desire that we address some of the issues of our culture, the issues of our world. In a world filled with fear and anxiety, he says, fear not. In a world filled with worry and uncertainty, Jesus says, why worry? How many of you, this, this will be for most of us, except for our most youngest of generations, no doubt they've heard it after the fact, Go with me back to 1988. So I was a teenager. I remember this as a teenager. Big pop hit song by Bobby McFerrin. A little, little bit of that Jamaican uh, flair to it. Don't worry. Be happy. Oh, big hit. Don't worry. Instead, just be happy. Well, there's, a, there's another one that was much more recent. It was from the 90s, certainly uh, redone and remade popular even with the, the remix of the movie last year, the Disney movie, The Lion King. Elton John wrote a song and it's entitled Hakuna Matata, right? Here's a handful of lyrics from that. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. Some of you can quote it and sing it. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Now those sound good. Ah, don't worry. Be happy. Hakuna Matata, no worries for the, end, for the end of your days. But certainly there's more to it than just not worrying. Because a lot of people have worry, and a lot of people have fear, and a lot of people have anxiety. And so to begin our study, to begin our series, and, and based on what's taking place in our world, that's where we're heading this morning is why worry? So first of all, what is Worry. That's a, the, the first thing we're going to be taking a look at. What is worry? Now, I, I think many of us could, could probably say, oh, I can tell you exactly what it is, and then you give me a vivid picture of you worrying about something. But if we want to get technical here, and we look at our buddy Webster in the Webster's Dictionary, it defines worry as feeling uneasy or anxious to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts to fret. Maybe you've fret, you've, you've, you've worried, you've had anxious thoughts. The Longman Dictionary describes it as an uncomfortable feeling in the mind caused by a mixture of fear and uncertainty. And so we, we realize all of these things kind of describe what worry is. And sometimes people, they kind of confuse worry with concern. So understand worry is different than concern. Concern focuses on probable events, but it motivates us to action. It foresees a potential problem and then does things to avoid that problem. We say, boy, I'm, I'm worried about my physical health. I'm concerned. 
If we're concerned about something, okay, we're going to take steps to kind of address that. So I'm, I'm going to maybe take some medicine to help. I'm going to change my, my diet or eating habits or do a little bit of exercise. Because of my concern, it leads me to action. Worry, on the other hand, is different. It consumes us with fear, and it paralyzes us over what might possibly happen. It focuses on some of the improbable events, but does nothing about them. Worry simply worries. Here's what Chuck Swindoll said. Anything that drains your tank of joy, something you cannot change, something you are not responsible for, something you are unable to control, something or someone that frightens and torments you, agitates you, or keeps you awake when you should be asleep, that's worry. We worry because life is hard. We go through challenges. We worry because the future is uncertain. We worry when we're not in control. How many of you like to be in control? You like to know what's going to happen and how and when. And when we can't do that, we worry. There's a lot of different reasons why we worry. The Mayo Clinic says approximately 80 to 85% of their caseload is directly due to worry or anxiety. According to a poll I found, or a study, 40% of the average person's anxiety is focused on things that will never happen. 30% of an average person's anxiety or worry is focused on things about the past that can't be changed. 12% of our worry are things about criticism by others that are mostly untrue. 10% of our worry is about our health, and that only makes our health worse with worrying and stress. Only 8% of our worry is about real problems we will face. So when we worry, we don't even worry right. <laughs> We're really good at it, but we don't do it right. We worry about stuff we can't handle, we can't control. That's what worry is. And I think we're all pretty familiar with what it is. Let me give a, a couple of thoughts here about what does worry do? Oh, we get this picture from our, our definitions and the dictionary and, and a little bit of those, those quotes. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. When we worry, when we get anxious, it, it's like you've got this burden placed upon your shoulders. It weighs us down. Here, here's a, a quick handful of things that worry will do to us. First of all, worry accomplishes nothing. Now, now somebody would say, man, worrying is awesome because I worry about all kinds of stuff and it never happens. As if they somehow kept it from happening. Listen, when we worry, it accomplishes nothing. Someone said worry is like fog. It can cover up to seven blocks with less than the substance of one glassful of water. In other words, fog is a lot of smoke and almost no substance. Very similar to worry. A whole lot of smoke and not a lot of substance. Worry accomplishes nothing. We can change nothing by our worry. What does worry do? Worry makes us ineffective. 
When we worry about things, it's a struggle and a challenge then to get the things we're trying to get done. In a survey of many students from 21 U.S. colleges, it indicated that worriers get the lowest grades. It's like a rocking chair. It takes you back and forth, but it never brings you anywhere. So worry accomplishes nothing. It makes us ineffective. Worry reveals a lack of faith. God promises to take care of our needs, but worry insists that's probably not true. I'm not sure if he can or he will. Someone had this quote. They said, worry is a form of atheism. It demonstrates a lack of faith and trust in God. He said, oh, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. Well, do you believe that God's in charge? Yes. Do you believe that God's in control? Yes. Do you believe God's going to take care of your needs? I don't know. I really worry about it. It's interesting. They, they say it might even be a, a form of atheism. It communicates that we have no faith in his desire or his ability to provide. No faith in his desire to provide or his ability to provide. So when we worry, what we're saying is, I'm not sure that God can or I'm not sure that God will. When we worry, we say, I'm just not sure if God can or if God will. Worry reveals a lack of faith. Worry affects our relationships. Worry affects our health. We, we mentioned some of those things earlier. Doctors report 43% of all adults suffer health effects due to worry and stress. Worry is linked to the leading causes of death, including heart disease and cancer. Someone had this quote, Ulcers are caused not by what you eat, but by what is eating you. As in worry. When we worry about things, it hinders our body. Are we worried about getting sick? Worry affects our immune system, which makes us more susceptible then to getting sick. Worry also hinders our witness. We're encouraged to be different from, to live different from, live separate from our world distinctively different, but if the world doesn't see a difference of faith and trust in a mighty and in a powerful living God, why should they want what we have, which is faith and trust in Him? So we take a brief look at what is worry. We've taken a brief look at what does worry do. But I invite you to Matthew chapter 6. So we take a look at the question or questions that Jesus has asked relating to worry. And I believe as we go through this passage, he's going to give us a, a good overview of how to overcome worry. First of all, I want to encourage us to trust that God is in control. Trust that God is in control. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, stop right there. I probably said this before, it's, it's something that always brings me back to Bible college days. But when we look in the Word of God and we read a therefore, we need to stop and pause and understand what the therefore is there for. 
Because it's a, it's a transitional statement or a transitional word that links to what was just spoken before. Therefore, in light of what I've just told you, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. So it refers back to those previous verses. And, and just very quickly, as you look down through Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about how we give. Jesus talks about how we pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus talks about how we fast. Jesus talks about laying up treasures in heaven, decision that is made to do that. And then Jesus talks about who our master is. The immediate verses before, he says, you can't have two masters. You, you're either going to love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. So the question, the choice, the decision is, who is your leader? Who is your master? Therefore, he says, don't worry. Trust that God is in control. If you've made the decision to love, to honor, to serve, to surrender your heart and life to him, he's your master. He is overseeing you. We don't need to worry. We can trust that he's in control. It's going to determine whether we're warriors or worshipers. Choice is up to you and I. So he says, therefore, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, don't worry about some of these issues. Verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can you imagine? Jesus, is, he's kind of walking, he's, he's teaching and preaching. And Jesus used a lot of object lessons. I, I use a handful, but boy, Jesus used a bunch. No doubt, you can kind of picture him stopping and saying, look at the birds as they're tweet-tweeting away and flying around. He says, look at these Birds. They don't plant or harvest. They don't have barns. There's no little birdie Walmarts. And yet somehow they get by. How many of you have seen birds all over the place? And, and they're pretty industrious little creatures, right? They're flying here and flying there. Now some of you help them out. You've got some bird feeders. But your bird feeder doesn't have enough for all of the birds of the air. Right? They're here and there, and they're finding worms over here, and they're digging up little, little pieces of food and scraps and trash, and somehow God is able to help them have the resources and instinct to find food. God carefully takes care of these, what we might consider, relatively insignificant creatures. Think about some of the big cities like a, like a New York City and pigeons everywhere, I'm told. Now, in a city like New York City, yes, there are certainly some parks. You've got Central Park and other things, but there's a whole lot of non-city. Somehow, some way, these birds survive. Birds, even those crazy little pigeons. Jesus is saying, look at the birds. If God's able to supply their needs and give them the resources and give them the, uh, the instinct and ingenuity to, to find what they need and, and prepare for them, how much more will God do that for you?
and for me. Don't worry. Trust him. You're his son. You're his daughter. We're, we're a part of the family of God. Now, verse 27 reads like this. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now, some of you, are, you're reading along with me and you're saying, well, 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 my Bible, my version says, can any one of you add a single cubit to your stature? And you're thinking, boy, those are really different. Adding a cubit to your statue or a moment to your life? Quick lesson. What's a cubit? It's a, a biblical measure, which is typically from your elbow to the tip of your hand, usually around 18 inches. Could be 20, 22, but that would be a cubit. Now, this, this word that might be interpreted cubit or moment refers to either a length of stature or a length or a season of time. So most, and, and more of the probably more recent versions or translations, because Jesus is kind of talking about survival, he just, he's just gotten done talking about how these birds are able to survive, most would think instead of saying adding a cubit to your height, they would go with the interpretation, the cubit would be a moment to your life. Again, either way, you can't get taller by worrying. You can't live longer by worrying. In fact, it's probably the opposite. Worry leads you to live a little bit less. So Jesus says, your worries won't add up to anything. Verse 28, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and see how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, but Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Isn't it amazing? You've seen flowers. You've seen some pretty, I mean, there's some pretty wild things out there. Just beautiful, breathtaking. And they don't always live the longest. If, if God is able to take care and allow these things to live and to grow and take care of them, again, it's, it's that similar fashion. How much more then is God, God going to take care of you and me? We don't need to worry. We can trust that God is in control. And he says, why do you have so little faith? And this is the challenge, and, and it's hard for us because we're, we're faced with all of the things here and now, but think of it like this. We trust God with our salvation, and we trust God to cleanse and forgive us. But boy, we struggle with trusting God about today, trusting God to meet our needs. God, you'll save me from hell, but I'm not sure whether you can help me out with today or tomorrow. Interesting. Jesus says, why do you have so little faith? Why don't you trust that God is in control? The God of the universe who created everything around us, he is in charge. He is in control. He can meet our needs. Verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers some might say Gentiles are pagans in their translation. He says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. 
The Gentiles or pagans who served all of these fake and false gods, their gods were, were not considered the most dependable. You can imagine, right? Because they were fake. Sometimes their gods would come through and sometimes their gods wouldn't. He's kind of comparing. We're, we're not sure whether we can trust God or not. It's almost like we're, we're living like the Gentile, the pagan, the unbeliever who has no relationship with a mighty living God. He says, don't live like that. Don't worry. Trust in your heavenly father. Trust that he is in control. Don't just trust that he can keep the planets in orbit. Trust that he will oversee what you and I face today or tomorrow. We can trust God, trust that he's in control, and give our worries over to him. How many of you would love to do that? How, how many of you, when you talk about, you know, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for us, we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to cast my cares upon you. Oh, well, let me get that one back. Yeah, well, I don't want quite like a, let me have it. Cast your cares, trust him, let go of your worries. Stories told of a man who said this to his friend. He said, boy, am I really in trouble. I have a mountain of credit card debt. I lost my job. My car is being repossessed. My house is in foreclosure. I've got multiple physical issues and upcoming surgeries. But I'm definitely not worried about any of it. His friend with white eyes replied, how can you not be worried about all of that? The man's response, I have hired a professional worrier. He does all of my worrying for me. His friend couldn't believe what he had just said. He says, man, that's awesome. But exactly, you said you hired him. How much exactly does a professional worrier cost? The man replied, it's a bargain. It's only $100,000 a year. The man's jaw dropped to the floor. He said, wow, $100,000 a year, that's expensive. He said, in light of all the other things you're facing, how in the world are you going to get that kind of money to pay him? The man replied, I don't know. That's for him to worry about. If we could literally cast our cares and, and cast our worries upon him, why? Because he knows, because he cares and because he is in control. Jesus says, why worry? We don't need to worry. We can trust that God is in control. Secondly, how do we overcome worry? We can develop an eternal perspective. The very next verse, verse 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Another version would say, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In other words, Jesus is saying many times the reason why we struggle, the reason why we worry is we're so earthly minded about earthly stuff. We're so concerned about the things of this world rather than the things of God. We've got to change our perspective. When we change our perspective, the, the things that we face in life, the things that we face every day, they're not quite as overwhelming. As the old hymn would say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We change and we shift our perspective from the immediate and the things of earth and the things of this world to the things of the Lord, the things of eternity. Why get so worked up about the things of earth when they don't last? How many, how many of you, you've ever bought something? I mean, it, it could have been as a kid, a little dollar store item, or it could have been a you know, piece of electronics or, you know, a, uh, something larger for your home. You bought it, it didn't last very long, and then it broke. You say, you get irritated, you get frustrated. Why doesn't this last? No matter how good that object is in our home or the thing that we purchase, they don't last forever. But we get so geared up about the things of the here and now, we lose sight of eternity. We lose sight of what's truly important, living for the Lord and living with Him. You've heard that phrase, don't sweat the small stuff. Think about and understand the priorities of life. When compared to the things of eternity, when compared to a living and lasting relationship with Jesus Christ, everything else are small things. Put God's work first and be assured that God's going to take care of you. Let's place every aspect of our life under His control, His care, His direction, and His plan. Develop that eternal perspective and live our priorities according to God. So how do we overcome worry? I think from Scripture, Jesus is saying, number one, trust God and trust that He is in control. Number two, develop an eternal perspective, thinking about down the road and not just about today. Number three, live one day at a time. You say, well, that, that seems different, Pastor Mark. We're saying develop an eternity perspective, but live in the here and now. It's a little bit of the both and. Understand eternity, but live one day at a time. Matthew 6, verse 34, as we conclude this, says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How many of you would say, Amen to that? Got enough troubles? I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I got enough troubles for my life today. We can live one day at a time. Notice Jesus never says in this particular chapter or in others, Jesus never says, your life will be perfect when you come to me. We've said multiple times in other messages, the words of Jesus, in this world you will have trials, tribulation. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. So he doesn't say it's going to be perfect. We're in a fallen world. There's sin and storms, difficulties, and yes, diseases. When we worry about tomorrow, it takes energy away from what we need today. One particular philosopher had this quote. He says, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened where worrying comes in. Worrying about the future rather than just addressing the day that we live in today. 
Now, when Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow, not to worry about the future, understand Jesus is not saying that we should not plan. He's saying don't worry about the future. Because in other scriptures, he, he talks about how we count the cost and we kind of plan different things out as we live for him. But we don't need to worry about the future. Someone said, planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. We can either live with regret over our past or worry about the future. But ultimately, the question is, can we learn to trust God one day at a time? In Psalm 68, 19, it says that God is the God who daily bears our burdens. Aren't you thankful for that? It's not just a once in a while when he gets around to it, he might consider helping us out with our burdens. It says he daily bears our burdens. We can trust that he's in control, and with his strength, with his help, with his authority and leadership, he enables us to then live one day at a time for him. I tease this in the Facebook post, knowing that we would share that there's two days of the week that we should never worry. I know there's seven of them. There's seven days, last I counted, from Sunday to Saturday. There's seven days, but only two of them that we ought not need to worry. And it's from a story I found. It says there are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days which should be kept free from fear and apprehension. One of those days is yesterday. With all of its mistakes and cares, its faults and blunders, its aches and pains... Yesterday is past, forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. We cannot undo a single act we've performed. We cannot erase a single word we said. Yesterday is gone forever. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow. With all of its possible adversities and burdens or its large promise, Tomorrow is beyond our immediate control. Tomorrow, the sun will rise, either in splendor or behind a mask of clouds, but it will rise. Until it does, we have no stake in tomorrow, for it is yet to be born. This leaves only one day today. Any person can fight the battle of just one day. It is only when you and I add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow that we break down. It's not the experience of today that drives a person mad. It's the remorse or bitterness of something which happened yesterday. And it's the dread of what tomorrow may bring. Let us therefore live but one day at a time. That's what Jesus was saying. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. We, we can't change our past so look at today, emphasize today, let's live one day at a time. Old quote says this, yard by yard, life is hard. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. In other words, live one day at a time. Trust that God's in control. 
Develop that eternal perspective. Live one day at a time. Don't let the worries of tomorrow hinder your expectancy of God today. <laughs> 